What did we just watch, Amy? We watched Atomic Blonde from 2017. Starring Charlize Theron. Yes, James McAvoy, John Goodman, or the other kind of... Yeah, I didn't know who James McAvoy was when I started watching this movie. I mean, it's not surprising. It's not. Um, but you've definitely seen him I in did. films. I've seen him in things. Um, I went, oh... He's in the new X-Men at one point in my head. Yeah, he's Professor X. He is. He's Professor X in the new X-Men's. Yes. Although I don't know if he's in the new Mutants, which is the newest mutant movie, no X-Men in it. Yeah. Um, which has been pushed back like five or six times and has gotten pushed back again because of the coronavirus. Oh, uh-huh. Okay. It's, okay. It's, the, it's been on a shelf for a very long time. One day, one day. One well, day. I I think there should definitely be a warning with this film that, like, with any spy thriller, there's a lot of twists and turns. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be surprised, haven't seen it yet, now is your chance to turn off yeah, and return. Away. Stop listening to our podcast after we you spoil everything. Um, and watch don't it. Watch it. Try not to. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. What do you think? I really enjoyed it. Me too. Yeah, um, it was a much better film than I was expecting. Me too. <laughs> like I was thinking, it was kind of going to be in the skyscraper yeah. area of silliness. Yeah, not a silly movie. But this is a good film. It's a good film. It's, it's a good it's film. a solid like spy thriller. Uh, yeah, in a way that I was not expecting from. The kind of goofy title and cover... The the previews and and the way that I, like, peripherally saw it received Mm -hmm. by critics. I wasn't Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd seen it sort of sold as, like, John Wick, but with Charlize Theron, uh, which I I saw it as, like, James Bond with a female Bond, sort of. I was vastly undersold on this movie. Yeah. Um... Thinking of John Wick, but with Charlize Theron. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I like the John Wick movies, but they are very light on anything that isn't action sequences. That's true. <laughs> There's, There's some interesting world story. building around the edges, but it's it's a very simple plot. John That's Wick true. has a reason to go kill a bunch of people, so he does. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, I... I really like the John Wick franchise. I do, too. I I think it does something very, very well. um, Yeah, yeah. I think it's really fascinating to watch. It's very engaging. I have really mixed feelings about how much I like the John Wick Mm -hmm. franchise because it's so... It's all gun violence. Yes. And the world we live in, like, I feel like I should just not enjoy it so much. Fantasy is okay. Yeah. But it's... I mean, it's kind of realistic with its guns. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, fantasy and not necessarily in the way it's depicted. But. Yeah. Well, and in the film, it's shot as like a first-person shooter yeah. game, which is actually where I thought the John Wick like um, story began. Mm-hmm. But apparently, I was no. Wrong. There is a John Wick game, um, and it is a turn-based strategy game. <laughs> It is not fast-paced or frenetic, mm-hmm. um, but it does a really good job of mimicking the feeling of being John Wick. Because um, you, what you do is you, you, you're in a map, and it's like a coffee shop, and there's three bad guys. And so you have to go, like, kill them all. But it is done on a turn-by-turn basis, so you can see what the bad guys are going to do. And then you can plan your reaction re- 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 around that, and then they react to what you're doing. 
And then, after you've done that for like 45 minutes, it then plays back the action sequence that you've choreographed in like 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it does a good job of like making you feel like you're John Wick. Yeah. And going, wah, woo, da, da, gun, kata, shooting Every, around the corner. Well, and some of the comparison to John Wick comes because the director of this, David Leach. Yeah, I believe it's Leach. Um, was an uncredited director. Yeah, I was trying to look into that. John Wick 1. I didn't know what was up with that. I don't know why and a or producer. how that was. Yeah. Um, so that's. And what Wikipedia tells me, fun fact, was that the filming of this coincided with John Wick Chapter 2. Oh. And. Um, Charlie's Throne and Keanu Reeves were training together mm. and were like having spar offs while training. That's really so neat. So <laughs> I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, the amount of prep Keanu Reeves did for John Wick is unbelievable. Yeah. And I suspect that is also true for Charlie's Theron in Atomic Blonde. Yeah, well, because Keanu Reeves does like 85% of the stunts yeah. and the fight sequences. Yeah in there and it sure looked like Charlize Theron was, was doing dream. lots of it yeah uh, yeah a lot of the fight sequences uh, speaking of fight sequences that freaking building fight oh my gosh <laughs> that alone is worth watching the whole film yeah like beautifully choreographed well, and shots it, and it keeps going longer yeah. than you think like yeah and like there were some obvious cuts like secret hidden cuts that i was like okay that was a cut okay right. that was a cut well it's shot to look like it's done in one cut yeah but you know it's not because she keeps getting bloodier and bloodier yeah, so like, like that had to be applied yes <laughs> sometimes <laughs> we weren't actually beating up Charlize theron over the course yeah. of this yeah uh, but even with that like i don't care like that artifice doesn't bother me at all mm. because it is gorgeous and beautiful to watch and it feels heavy and dramatic and yeah. it's telling a story it's telling a story so many fight sequences don't tell stories no. and this one did and it was amazing and it kept going and i was yeah. like i cannot believe this is still going and raising the stakes oh yeah no, that was when i was like this is a great movie yeah well one of the most fascinating things is the choice to show uh, the fighters' injuries being really tired. Yeah, like that's something I <laughs> I've never seen before. I mean, I'm, I'm sure other movies have, mm-hmm. have done it. They do it in John Wick a little, a little bit. bit. They do it a little bit, like the the original hallway scene in the first season of Daredevil. Yeah, that, that was a great, take. Great Another scene. similar great take, like one take or fake one take. Yeah. Um. There's a few times when he, like, leans against the wall and, like, catches his breath and is waiting for it. Um, This dialed that up a fair amount. Yeah, yeah. They're exhausted by the end of this fight. Yeah. They have visible injuries. um, And and you just see kind of the human toll. Yeah. um, Which is, you know, you watch a James Bond film, mm -hmm. a lot of these films with fight sequences Mm -hmm. a lot of them are about characters who heal really fast too like supernatural (laughs) or mutant um but it always like there's no physical consequence yes it's it's very video gamey um Mm -hmm. or there's the um the mindset that i think about it sometimes is uh there's a concept in dungeons and dragons and lots of other games called health points yeah hp and like your hp gets lower and lower as you are in a fight 
and if it hits zero, you're unconscious or dead. But at, at one, you are virtually identical in terms of capabilities mm. as you are at 30 or whatever. Um, and there's there's lots of mechanical reasons why that. And I, I play games with that, and I don't mind it. Yeah. But it's fantasy. It's fantasy. <laughs> um, and this took that in a different direction of like every single punch or, you know, stab like was felt and impactful the rest of the fight. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, they, you have a clue that this is going to happen, which was kind of my first clue that this is going to be a different kind of movie in, in one of the opening scenes mm-hmm. where, um, her character's Lorraine Broughton. Yes. She's in an ice bath. Uh-huh. Um, and has, like, visible bruises all over her body. Uh-huh. There are tiny cuts on her face. She has yeah. a black eye. She has a split lip. Yeah, and that's how the movie opens, basically. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh, okay, they're gonna... They're gonna... They're gonna feel it. She's now. not an invincible <laughs> fighter. Yeah, um, and, I mean, being in an ice bath, I'm assuming is to help with the pain. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that was, that was my first, first Yeah, your first clue. clue that something's going wrong. Yeah. And even when she goes in, because the, the film's framed as sort of this, you know, she's telling the story of what happened. In right, the right. The debrief, debrief to her MI6. Adventure. Um, um, mission. Bosses. Yeah. And. Um, and, like, he even mentions, like, oh, how'd you get that black eye when she walks in? And just like, we're getting to that. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, real fun, fun, heavy duty punching and kicking and fighting and yeah. Fight. One one of the fun parts too is finding weapons to use because mm-hmm. the you know the guns run out of bullets. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna use the gun as a like a blunt object, yes. or we're gonna find something <laughs> around us. Like when mm-hmm. she takes the garden hose, yes, and that kind of. One of the first fight scenes where she's just like whipping around using a garden hose as a weapon. Yeah, was it a garden hose or an extension cord? I thought it was outside, so I felt like it was a garden hose. There's one she had like the extension cord in the apartment, like wrapped around her that she then jumped out of the. I think that was a garden hose. Was it okay? It's it's not worth. No, it's not important. (laughs) It's not important. (laughs) That was cool. Or she She beat up a guy with a ladder at one point. Um, Small thing. I thought it was really. smart of the character that every time she picked up a gun she checked to see if it was loaded Mm -hmm. (laughs) she pulled the slide back and go okay there's a bullet in here i can use (laughs) Um, which is something you never see on in action movies is they just yes this gun has infinite bullets i'm gonna shoot them forever Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah very smart action sequences but the whole movie was smart in a way I didn't expect. Like, yeah. it was plotted well. There was, was a story. Well. It was paced well. It was acted well. It was, acted, there was, it was a mysterious. Like, it's like, like who's, who's lying? Who's lying? Who's li- You know, I had questions, like, because the whole thing is a flashback, more or less. Like, yeah. I'm like, how much of what we're seeing is true? Right. Is um, she telling the, the, the whole story? Officers, all of it? Yeah. And um, the answer was, No. No. <laughs> And then, like, well, how much of what we're seeing in the audience land is real versus embellished? Um, and there were parts of it that, like, we see as the audience that she couldn't have been able to see. She wouldn't have known what was going on. Because um, we saw interactions between James McAvoy's character and the Russians and um, the French woman getting Gaffine. attacked. Gaffine getting attacked. 
Um, so like those obviously weren't. I mean, were they in her briefing? I don't know. Yeah. Um, she didn't see it happen. She didn't see it happen. Um, so was that part of her debrief, or was that us, the audience, being more aware of what was going on for dramatic tension? And I'd have to watch it again because I don't know for sure. But I think most of what we didn't see, or what we saw that she didn't see, was corroborated later by her. Like the the meeting in the alleyway, she eventually mm-hmm. saw pictures of. Which was between James McAvoy's character and one of the KGB agents. Yeah. So, backing up here, the, <laughs> Lorraine Broughton is an MI6 spy. Yes. And um, James McAvoy is also an MX, MI6 spy. He's the head of Berlin... Um, I forgot what it's called in Spy Talk. Berlin headquarters. Spy team. Um, yeah. He's <laughs> spy been, boss. He's been embedded for like 10 years. Yeah. Um, knows everything about the city. Uh, there are also KGB agents, and they all kind of know who each other are. Mm-hmm. And this um, is all, of course, set right before the fall of the, the, the Berlin Wall. Right. And I think that's almost like... Berlin is like another character. It's an example mm-hmm. where location becomes is character in the setting of like just in the days or weeks before the fall yeah. of the wall. And that's something uh returned back to again and again with like news reports in the mm-hmm. background. Yeah. Um some of the protests become elements of like the plot the story, yeah. happening. Yes, which is why uh, I see that there's a sequel in the works and I don't know how it can be done without such a like historical background. Yeah, event. that's interesting. I don't know that I want a sequel to this. Yeah. I, now I said the same thing about John Wick, and I've been yeah. happy with the sequels to that. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's not that I don't think they can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is such a self-contained story, and of course there is the ending, which is a huge twist at the end. So I knew she was lying about something the whole time. Um, and you're sort of led to question, like, is she the double agent? You know, is she covering up for her? And even McAvoy's <laughs> character is like, oh, so this is how you're going to get away with it. Well, one of one of the things established from the beginning, part of, part of her job is to deliver a package, which is a list of, like, double agents on the Russian and mm-hmm. allied western yeah. sides. Very important intelligence. Uh, the other one is to reveal the identity of an agent codenamed Satchel, mm-hmm. who's a double agent for the British and KGB. Yeah. Um, On the side of the KGB. Like, so someone in MI6 pretending... pretending, Who's a mole for the KGB. Yeah. And so she also has to uncover that. And Mm -hmm. here's Percival, who is the James McAvoy character. He seems really shady. He is really shady. He is really shady. (laughs) Um, He has kind of become a Berliner, mm-hmm. I feel like. like he shaved he, his head, he's blending in. He's blending in, he's smuggling booze and jeans onto the east side. Yeah. Um, and you never you never quite know, is that an act? Yeah. To set you off guard? You think he maybe at? he's just like drunk and hungover all the time, uh-huh. or that's a way to throw has he, people off. Has he become one of them? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, is he the double agent? Is he? Because he seems real shady. Yeah, and so that's that's a fear. Yeah. Um, so he's the double agent. Yeah, and we see him like he warns the KGB officers uh-huh. of of where the package is and gonna be. Yeah. He so. shoots the asset. Yeah. He shoots uh, spyglass. <laughs> like that's not good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't seem well in yeah. his favor. Um, and then we learn at the end of the movie. 
that it was her the whole time. It was Lorraine. She was Satchel. She was Satchel. Uh, but she was not a traitor to the West. <laughs> well, and, like, so we get that scene at the end when she's got the black hair, and she goes into the fancy hotel, and she meets the KGB agent from earlier, mm-hmm. and they're celebrating, and she pours yes. another glass of Stoli on the rocks. I was sure that the Stoli was, like, poisoned, and she was going to die. That's what, <laughs> like, they had gotten to it. The other guy didn't drink it because he thought, like, he was playing like it was poison. Yeah. Well, the Stoli, like, as a running thing throughout the entire movie was a great thing. That's her drink. Stoli on the rock. You know, which which is, like, it feels so much like a red herring. Like, oh, like, they're not going to show the Russian agent drinking vodka the whole time. Like, that, that's not what it was. Um, Especially when you've got Percival, who's drinking Jack Daniels throughout the whole movie. And so, like, it's very deliberately crafted. Um, and it wasn't poisoned, um, but he leaves the room, and everybody come. the The cleanup team comes in to take care yeah, of her. They put the plastic down. <laughs> like, please stand on the plastic, so this is easier for everybody. Yeah. Um, and she does not behave. Nope. <laughs> we get one more great action sequence. Mm-hmm. I did notice that was the first time. I think the first time in the movie that used um, the technique known as ramping, which. Um, Zack Snyder does all the time, and it drives me nuts. But it's when you get slow motion, followed by really fast motions, followed by slow mm. motion, and sort of back and forth, so you can see different parts of it. Um, it didn't bug me too much in this, because it was the last, it was the only time it was used, was in this one scene. Because um, each fight scene was filmed kind of differently, and yeah. interestingly, which is... They were all telling a story. Yes. They were forwarding a plot. Yeah. Um, which is cool. <laughs> um, yeah, she takes them all out, and then leaves... And goes and gets on a plane, and none of John Goodman's on the plane waiting for her. She's a triple agent. She's a triple agent working for the U.S. <laughs> or so we're led to believe. Yeah, like, who knows? knows at this point <laughs> who she's working for? Oh, man, I loved it. It was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I did not see it coming. No. Uh, it, it pulled a fast one on me. I mean, I, I, I thought it. It, it did cross my mind that she might be the double agent. Well, I thought she was And for I a was going to be really disappointed if, if she that's was, all it was. If she was the double agent <laughs> all along. Um, yeah. And something that happened, I think in several, after the several of the fight scenes, but definitely at the ending as her eyes are like tearing up. Yeah. As she's in the elevator going down, which is just like... Another physical reaction Mm -hmm. to being in a fight. And lots of pain. And lots of pain and having um, your life being in very real danger. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was another element that I Uh, liked. Yeah, good, good fun movie. Yeah, I feel like when this came out, there were internet bros who were upset because it had a female lead, I mean that's probably that's true for I think most par for at the this course. Point. Yeah, um, but it was great. Yeah, it was. It was. I would watch again, and I would watch a sequel. Yeah, and both of those. Yeah, I was real excited just when John Goodman showed up at the very beginning too. I'm like, John but, Goodman's in this? I didn't know John Goodman's yeah. in this. John Goodman's great in everything he does. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that was really exciting. He was. In, he showed up in another movie I watched recently that I was like, oh, I didn't know he was in that. Uh, oh, inside Lewin Davis, he mm. shows up uh, for a few scenes um, and does a really good job because yeah. he's John Goodman and that's what he does. Yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting too, of like Theron kind of 
late late in her career. I mean, she's going to go on. Yeah, she's not for, done by any not, means. <laughs> becomes an action star. Mm-hmm. Like, it was starting kind of with Mad Max. Yeah. Um, maybe before that. She was on Aeon a- Flux, like, back in the... Was she, was she Aeon Flux in yeah, Aeon Flux? Yeah, and, like, I do not aughts. remember that. Um, so she's been doing action for a little while, at least. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's really interesting being a woman... I feel like in her late 40s. She's 44. Okay. Um, Yeah, that's when... Yeah. Her action starts. I'm down with it. She does a good job. Yeah, she... Yeah, Aeon Flux. She was in The Italian Job, which I don't think it was an action movie. Uh, That's right, she was in Hancock. Did you ever see Hancock? No. I didn't either. Um, Spoilers for Hancock. She was a superhero in that, but nobody knew. Oh, I did see Hancock. Oh, okay. I did see Hancock. <laughs> it wasn't a very good movie. Yeah. Yeah. I blocked yeah. it. Mad Max, Atomic Blonde. She was yeah. Patricia Adams in the newest Adams Family movie. I think it's I think her career is really fascinating because she's she's done like a lot of uh I mean, I don't know when she established her production company, but she's done very like serious kind of indie films. She's done silly movies like all the Fast and the Furious. Mm-hmm. Um, she's done action movies. She's making the movies she wants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is cool. So that's yeah. Yeah. Oh, she was a producer for Bombshell. Which was so she's a, in that. She was. Yeah, yeah. She played Megan Kelly yeah. in that. Um, I'm just pulling up her IMDb page and looking at what she's doing. Yeah, she's got lots of stuff. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about the colors. Yeah, I loved the, the saturation. <laughs> I don't know what you call it, applying a grain? Well, um, to... so I think, I think from, like, the back of my region is, like, digital color correction is what it's called, um, which in the early days of film, like, you know, the 90s, it was very difficult to make things look like that. It was all in the lighting, and you had to, you had to film it very particularly and use the right lenses and cameras and things like that. I mean, you're talking about the 90s, 10 years ago, it was hard to do. Yeah. Um, but it has become increasingly easy to do. Um, I remember Oh Brother, Where Art Thou was the first film that was 100% digital color corrected after the fact, mm-hmm. um, which was a big deal at the time yeah. um, to give it sort of that grainy, old-timey look that it has. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of movies use it now, but in, in very boring ways where they just crank up the contrast. Yeah. And that's where you end up with... Um, that's where you end up with blue and orange, um, which is a, a, a common like film criticism thing. I don't know how common it is. It's on the internet. But basically, um, you push up the um, reds and yellows in people's skin tone to make them pop, and you need a contrasting color on that, and so you get blue. Mm-hmm. And so movies look very blue and orange. You'll see lots of trailers that are blue and orange because they contrast well against each other. Um and it's very boring. Like, can you give me an example? I, I don't um, know this. Let me let me pull up a, a picture. Um, if folks at home, you can Google blue and orange movies. Yeah. Um, to see an example of what I'm talking about. But part of the storytelling it's like it's used for in this film is from different characters' perspective have different kind of color saturations. Mm-hmm. Uh, flashbacks might have a different color 
okay, so you're showing me pictures. So this is from Mad Max. Okay. I don't know what that is from. Um, but you, um, you once you notice it, you'll start seeing it more often. Okay, so like Michael Bay. Yeah, I feel well, like Michael Bay. Michael does Bay. This is it's very yes, Michael Bay. Yes, I can definitely remember that. Um, from it happens in the Michael trans- Bay. Like every Transformer movie has this sort of blue and orange effect. Mm-hmm. Um, you also see it on lots of movie posters um, as sort of the same idea of trying to be eye catching. Okay, then those are all action. Yes, movie and it's very common for action movies. Um, and it's not like again when you're when you're. In the movie, you don't always notice it in the same way, but once you start seeing it, it like shows up oh, yeah, everywhere. That's what it's called. Yeah. Um, well, here's a whole a whole bunch of them from Captain America to X Men. Hey, there's James McAvoy. Yeah. No, that's that's Michael Fassbender. It's one of them. It's yeah. One of them. <laughs> <laughs> They're just the same person. They look a lot alike, and it was very confusing to me in that movie. The first time I watched it, I remember who who was who. <laughs> One of them's Magneto, and one of them's Professor X. Yeah. And I can tell from the characterization, but like which actor well, played which, which I don't know. Switch. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but this did digital color correction in a way that was, as you say, enhancing the plot and very much part of the storytelling. Um, lots of uh, what and really bringing also Berlin to life. Yes, of, you don't see a lot set in Berlin that way at that time Mm -hmm. yeah and that's part of what makes it seem like a character Mm -hmm. in itself yeah they they, it it was it was a specificity Mm -hmm. it wasn't just like generic russian city in the cold war as sort of the popular culture has imagined it it was more like how what is unique about this place what is interesting about it how does it feel to live in this divided city right and i always think of things in the soviet union as bleak mm-hmm. um i just that's how we've been trained to think of them yeah. in a lot of and ways it is from like our media duller colors and things but it does have a life to it mm-hmm. yeah people lived there and they had lives and we're happy, and they, mm-hmm. you know, not all the time, but nobody's happy all the time, and yeah, things like that. Uh, there was also a lot of use of what uh, has been dubbed bisexual lighting, which is the blue and pink contrasting lighting. I'm learning all kinds of things. Yeah, um, there was a there's a video essay that uh, Kyle last names I'm not remembering right now. The guy who did the the to be or not to be video. And the Casablanca video, Brows Held High is his channel name. Okay, he's telling you these things for reference, but I have not watched those videos. Yes, you have. <laughs> so the To Be or Not To Be was the black and white comedy about Nazis. Oh, yeah, I do remember watching that. But okay. I don't remember watching something about Casablanca. Okay, maybe I watched it without you. Um, but he did a video on bisexual lighting. Um, but it's this it's a growing trend of this blue and pink contrast, mm-hmm. as opposed to like blue and orange film color correction. Um, and it had a lot of that in there, which was particularly appropriate because the main character is depicted as bisexual. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I thought that was interesting as well. They were yeah, which is another, like, something different from yeah. James Bond and yeah. John Wick. And Man, I'd love to see a bisexual James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's breathe a little new life into yeah, the franchise and start having the same film over and over, and over. Again. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, I could, I could see that. Yeah, um, yeah. 
don't know if I have other things to say. Uh, so I don't trust anybody. It was something I wrote down. <laughs> I don't trust anybody. She's lying yeah. to us. Yeah. Um, I did notice, again, film things. You're doing lots of film things today. Uh, there was a Wilhelm scream at one point in the thing, which I have become accustomed to hearing, which is a, it's a very famous, in film circles, audio effect of a guy screaming. It's like, ah! Um, and it's famous because it gets used in all sorts of movies. Um, and so I noticed one this, in the movie. It was when the garden hose scene, when a guy gets pulled over a couch, it was a Wilhelm scream. I didn't notice I, that. You wouldn't have noticed it if you hadn't listened to it. Uh, on a previous podcast of mine, Bad Philosophy, our opening credits for a while had a Wilhelm scream in it. Uh, and so every time I listened to that, I heard it, and it's now like become burned into my brain. <laughs> of the Wilhelm scream. And I was like, hey, there's a Wilhelm scream in there. Uh, yeah, the guy got the keys in the face. That was... Brutal. <laughs> yeah, but he barely reacted to it. And then he just rips the key oh, out of his cheek. Oh, that one was harsh. Ow. Um, yeah, that, I, I don't have yeah. a lot more to say. About I like that. That, yeah. he, that, that that fight occurs in a movie theater. Oh, and yeah. then the henchman shows up again for like the final fight scene mm-hmm. in, in the building stairwell um, yes. fight. Yeah. And I was like... So often I can't tell the difference between any henchmen. Yeah, they're, and, they're just mooks from Central Mook Casting. Right, but I remembered him. Got mm-hmm. He's partially because they, you know, signaled attention to him. He had bleached hair. Yeah. The rest of the guys looked generic, like dark hair, mm-hmm. some beards. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I recognized. Because he kind of... He kind of beats her up in yeah. the cinema. She does not win that fight. No, she runs away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here they are. Second the final showdown. final fight, uh, like both. That was that, that was the brutalist part. Was the two of them just back and forth trading blows, right? And they're like both having trouble getting off the floor. Yeah, um, just yeah. exhausted after what they've been through. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also you mentioned the movie theater it reminded me uh, they were showing a movie that I know in the movie theater oh. that was period appropriate. It so was Stalker. 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 Um, which is a very famous piece of Russian sci-fi um, based on a novel called Roadside Picnic. Um, it was on the East German side. Yes. Um, but it's, I mean, it's a, it's a Criterion Collection. Um, famous director whose name escapes me at the moment, but he did Stalker and other movies that are also... Uh, Solaris was one of his... Which got remade into a movie starring George Clooney an in American. the 2000s. So this is a Russian author? Yeah. Okay. It's a Russian author, yeah, a Russian filmmaker. Yes, the, well, the new Solaris was an American yeah. version. Um, but really good movie. I watched it in a film class back in college. Um, also sort of an inspiration for Annihilation, of all things, um, in that it's about people journeying into a forbidden zone where mysterious things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, although Annihilation is a very different movie and book, but in that same sort of genre. Um, I don't know if there was a lot of thematic resonance to Stalker to this movie, um, but I thought it was cool that it was like, I recognize that. (laughs) That's a period-appropriate movie to be showing at this theater. (laughs) And, like, when you saw pieces of it briefly on screen, like, that's definitely Stalker. (laughs) That was funny. Cool. Also, the soundtrack was great. Oh, yeah, the soundtrack was great. Great choices in 80s music. Yeah. 
uh, and then a few covers of 80s that mm-hmm. were very, very different mm-hmm. from the original um, songs. Yeah. That was... It's good. It was great. <laughs> liked music, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm sad we slept on this, that we didn't watch it before now. Yeah, <laughs> well, if, if the sequel comes out, we will yeah, definitely we'll go see it in be much faster um, to go see it. Because it was real fun. It was. Definitely uh, recommend. Yeah. And and I, I just it's, it's a spy movie first and then an action movie second, which I think is the biggest thing that I was not expecting. Yeah, yeah. Because it really is a spy movie. And you have to pay attention. Yeah, you can't watching. just kind of zone out and go, ooh, fight scene. It's like, well, no, why are they fighting? That's important. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good movie. Good movie. Ow. Do recommend. Can't bid me. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's streaming for free anywhere. I don't think so. We, we got, got this from, from the library. The local library. Gotta love your local libraries. Yes. Although, be careful currently visiting the library and make sure you're maintaining social distance. Yes. Uh, I'm going to see if it's streaming anywhere. Atomic Blonde. Uh, FX Now. If you have FX Now, it is streaming on that service. Okay. It's available for rental. Yeah. On, like, Prime. On everything. Or Amazon Video. Yeah. Uh, Cool. Anything else? Other thoughts? Well, I think... I think... That's all I got. Okay. I've entertained a kitty now for the last little bit. Yeah, she's she's been in a bitey mood because yeah. we're recording a podcast. Yeah, yeah. But no blood has been drawn yet. Yeah. So <laughs> that's good. All right, say goodnight, Amy. Good night, Amy. <laughs> <laughs>